Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hey, just before we get started, this is a conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime podcast. The nature of this podcast is gory, unsettling, and definitely vulgar. And we curse a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. (laughs) So be advised. We're just two idiots with a mic. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And this is episode um, 81. 81. Dun, 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 dun. They're like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, girls. Sorry. Oh my God, we dropped an F-bomb in the intro. We Twice. Dang, sorry, y'all. Oops. Remember, you guys remember when Taylor <laughs> gave us an F-bomb count? Seven. 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 That was it. God, those days. Uh, those were the days. Is there ever going to be a time that we don't use the yo, yo, yo? Or, and we just come on and we're like, hey, guys. Or if we just drop the warning. And we just, yeah. Like, what if that? Like, warning. This podcast is dope as fuck. Oh, there's three. <laughs> nice. Warning. This podcast is dope as fuck. And we talk about, like, really disturbing shit. So maybe don't come if you don't like it. Yeah, maybe just dry away actually Maybe just calm down calm <laughs> anyway down. if you guys haven't seen already we need to tell them about the oh, killer yes. mom merch yes killer mom merch was released on monday at nine o'clock p.m mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really it, it, we didn't know that we were gonna release it then and i just called morgan i was like i'm gonna drop it i'm bored i was actually dead asleep she was and i wake up to taylor fetzner calling me and um <laughs> all of these different photos of this <laughs> cartoon t-shirt on a pink brick i was like honestly it looks dope as shit yeah but, well we did a lot of different designs this time we did a flowy tank top like a workout tank top yeah. and then we did a v-neck and then we did because like I, I know shirts like that some people like to wear them like with jeans and that would be a little bit cuter than like yeah. the classic tee but also i do love just the plain classic tee yeah me too but anyway it's a great gift for your mothers if, yes if you have a mother that uh loves the pod Definitely buy them that for Mother's Day. It's a great gift for the dog moms out there and for the cat moms. <laughs> or send this to your husbands or partners or significant others and tell them to listen to 230 Mark in Creeps and Crimes. And um, guys, if you're listening to this, she wants you or they want you or he wants you to buy them the Killer Mom merch for Mother's Day. Order it right now because it'll get here right in time. All right. Order it right now. Right now. You heard us? Anyway, yeah, so the um, we got a little carried, well, Taylor got a little carried away because we realized that our um, website that we created our merch with, our first round of merch, um, has, un- I guess when you sell merch, you unlock like new <laughs> products, new okay? Like new things that weren't there before. So Taylor got really carried away, okay? 
Like I'm talking, I got a text one day that said, call me after work. Need to tell you about the bathing suit. Can I t- <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. Bathing suit. Bathing suit. She's like, yeah, that has to happen. Yeah. We, 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 we unlocked a ton of summer stuff. Yeah. That in like, I'm talking trucker hats. I'm talking baseball hats. I'm talking this the stuff like the stuff that we originally that you want and um bags and biker shorts and uh tank tops and stuff that match and sets like so maybe just keep an eye out for us maybe keep an eye out for the bathing suit yeah because who who doesn't want a let's get creepy bathing suit (laughs) i mean i'm serious who doesn't want to oh my god you can put an alien on mine and yours can just have a a knife oh my god we have a team creep and a team crime uh, bathing suit okay well no one's gonna buy mine but no because it's an alien so that'd be because really all cute. of these listeners right now are haters no they're not team- yes they are let me let me yell at them for a second you okay, guys are freaking ahead. haters okay is that all you're gonna yell yeah at that's all I'm yell- that's all I'm that yelling. was not this is why this is why morgan and i are gonna be two very two different parents morgan morgan's like ollie does something i'm like beat the shit out of that dog and she's like ollie stop that i'm like angel no more no more and taylor's like oh you better shut the fuck up you better sit down <laughs> my cats walk in the room meow once i'm like what the fuck do you want we've dropped four five we're at five <laughs> literally psychos um but we we've just been grinding out lately uh, we've been recording a ton a ton a ton a ton a ton a ton because we have a huge surprise for mother's day not oh, just the killer mom merch i cannot wait till you guys get to mother's day because we have something awesome um but we've been recording so much because morgan has marley's wedding coming up um bachelorette, bachelorette bridal shower bridal showers and then i have arletta's and then together we, we have, have madison's yeah and w- and all of the things like none none of the showers and luncheons and things have happened yet and, and they all happen in the span of like two months. <laughs> it is and every it's weekend. Literally every other weekend, Morgan's gone. I'm gone. Morgan's gone. I'm gone. We're gone together. Like it is. It's intense. So we've been recording so much. I literally have no idea what you guys have heard yet and what you haven't heard. I was typing my. I was typing out my script today, finalizing it, and I said something. And I was like, they don't know this yet. <laughs> they haven't heard this yet. Yeah. So this is going to be really interesting to see how this goes. But I do have one question. Okay. To you know, spice this up. Oh, spice it up. Yeah, because you know everybody really enjoyed our last week spice about up the, your life <laughs> about the um. Uh, emotions everybody really enjoyed that and I uh-huh. that was the last thing I was expecting from you guys yeah you guys are emotional yeah and I like it it was cute and you guys are so sweet about our intros like yeah you are for a, for a long time people told us like don't do your intros this way don't do your intros this way and we kept on we mm-hmm. literally put two middle fingers up and just kept on kept on keeping on keep on keeping on and anyways you guys love it now anyways um so the question I have, I was listening to Sophie and Chinzia's podcast, which they're YouTubers um, from London, and uh, they have a YouTube channel, whatever. It's, it's my favorite. I've talked about them before, and they have a podcast called um, The Girl's Bathroom. And Morgan, what's your non-creepy, crimey related podcast that you always listen to? Well, you know that answer. I know. I'm just asking you for them. It's Call Her Daddy. She is a Call Her Daddy girl. I, I was. I was huge on Call Her Daddy in college. Um, when the whole drama went through, mm-hmm. I kind of, and after college, I kind of just like strayed away from it. Well, I mean, pff, I didn't stray away from drama. I was in. Yeah. I was in it. <laughs> she, okay. Guys, don't let her fool you. Like, I was obsessed with it, but then I was just like kind of lost interest. But honestly, like, Alex Cooper is like 
doing some shit right now. An investigative reporter right yeah, now. Yeah, like, and she's good at it. Yeah. And it's very entertaining, and I like I like who she interviews, so it's kind of drawing me back. Mm-hmm. So I think she's doing that on purpose. Right. She knows. Yeah, they know how to do it. <laughs> but yeah, that's mine. Um, mine, I never listened to any that weren't true crime related for the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, then when we got our podcast, I obviously started listening to more creepy stuff. Um, but then I found the girls' bathroom. I've never really been able to get into that genre you know what i mean like the personal journals or the self-help mm-hmm. self-help which i always listen to like or let us stay open right. because you do that for friends you know and yeah. i love listening to her and what she has yeah. to say but anyways um i started listening to the girls bathroom and they start every episode off with a question of the week that they pull from their listeners and two weeks ago the question was would you allow your best friend and significant other or partner to hang out without you and the majority of the people said absolutely fucking not and then I started thinking about it because I was kind of shocked when I heard that answer. Right. Be- I get like that there's two different sides to this. But in my opinion, if it was if, me and you. If it's your best friend, you have full trust in them. If it's your boyfriend, mm-hmm. you have full trust in him. Right. But like the, I I hear horror stories on. <laughs> I do too. Best but like, friends. So I, I don't know. There's just like not too many people I would call my best friend and right. not trust them to be around my family. My like my partner, like right. my animals, like I would trust them with my life. Yeah. And that's why you get the title of best friend with me. But I guess just like it's different for other people. Like everybody says everybody's their best friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like I just couldn't imagine like. I, I wouldn't care if like you, like you, me and Logan at the bar together. Yeah, and you're I'd like, like go oh ahead. My God, I'm gonna kill that bitch. <laughs> you're like, I'd be like, what this are is they the up best to? day of my life? I need to go stalk them. Honestly, fuck that. I would be so. I would be like, no, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm left out, y'all. Like, you guys are fucking rude. I'm like, you go hang out somewhere else. I don't get to hang out with Morgan unless we're recording. So I'm gonna take <laughs> this opportunity. But like, is there ever a time that you'd be like, I don't want you and Aaron to like go? No, I don't. I couldn't I would literally be grateful I mean just a couple weekends ago it was yeah. you and Aaron yes. and Logan and I was like you're like Aaron's about to call you You better get here ASAP like he's pissed you're not here and I'm like oh my god like Taylor can't you do something about it I don't want to be there right now I did I tried nothing I against for you. Aaron or anything I, I fought just, for you I was just um I was out with another group of friends well work people so yeah. it was just like you know and I was like totally content I was like oh Taylor's gonna keep him occupied it's it. gonna be great but yeah meanwhile i'm like dancing in the corner with this group over there that was like for a retirement and they turn on britney i'm like yes bitch <laughs> like in the corner meanwhile taylor's on the patreon friends only <laughs> if uh, you guys talk to morgan saying morgan get the frick here where, where are, are you, you morgan? morgan i'm just here at the boys oh man but it i was, was a great protecting you i mean what? what's wrong with your mic is your mic okay i don't i don't know it's just been really uncomfortable is and your I'm back just, hurting like, you no Honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> she can you grab your mic like this? Because it's actually really like no, because like, you keep playing slinky with it. <laughs> I wish you guys could see this. Well, it just get a hold of your mic, just like how I am, and it's just like relaxing, like you have full control. No, they're not gonna enjoy. Like the if audio. I wanna, you okay? <laughs> they're She's not gonna really enjoy asking this audio. me what's wrong with my mic, you guys. I'm literally if I'm leaning forward, the mic's coming with me. <laughs> She's like, leaning back. Then Mike comes back and she has been trying to get me to do this for the last year and a half. So I'm not sure why she's questioning my... I'm doing this because of you're, her. You're yanking the mic around. It's stressing me out. But that's what we're supposed to do if we move. Oh, God. Okay, guys. Well, we have a creepy, <laughs> a creepy and crimey um, episode for you today. Yeah. And it's our first nighttime recording in a long time. So Morgan might fall asleep or get delusional. 
I feel like I'm already I am already you are, That's why you're moving The fucking mic like that <laughs> I mean I'm gonna kill her guys This is My bedtime alarm's gonna go off In approximately 10 minutes Great I can't wait to hear that On the audio ding, 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 And then it And then it's gonna Send me an alert That <laughs> says I wish I could make it <laughs> I'm gonna get an alert That says Morgan has now Gone on do not disturb Would you like to Would you like to notify her anyway (laughs) No don't Don't fucking notify me (laughs) They need to rename that To be like Fuck your do not disturb Because that is literally what it is And I just do it I just do it when you're at work But today I did on I don't know why it says I'm on Like you texted me That was what 9am I was up for three hours I don't know why It wasn't on do not disturb My phone's just like Jank I think Yeah it's time for a new one Hello Are you guys listening She needs Apple Are you here Apple are you here What's that guy's name That we love from Apple Oh, our helper god jeff 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 from apple jeff, jeff from, from apple jake from apple no it wasn't jake it was jeff jeff from apple if you're still here with us okay um or christian give us a code please give us a code <laughs> discount code creeps and crimes all right guys we gotta get to the episode <laughs> oh shit okay hit him with it if you're driving throw that shit on cruise control <laughs> you got a glass pour that shit and up. hold on to your mics because let's get creepy, creepy. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. No. (laughs) In high school, I took Spanish. And yes, I can recognize words, but just like my English, the pronunciation (laughs) just isn't there. Well, I took French and I retained absolutely zero. But now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that has sold more than 10 million subscriptions and is a sponsor of Creeps and Crimes, there is an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language whether you're traveling abroad connecting in a deeper way with family or just have some free time Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world I started using Babbel to learn Italian and so far I have learned how to order my coffee which would have been very helpful um, when I was actually in Italy but never again while I struggle abroad no never again (laughs) Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons are created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash creepsandcrimes. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creepsandcrimes for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Okay, so we're kind of doing a special today a little bit. Um, I'm going to start off a segment talking about, uh, the Ouija board. <laughs> Is your mic okay? 
Okay, I'm done touching the mic. You're right. Is it okay? It's okay. As long as you're okay, I'm good. All right. So yes, today I'm talking about the Ouija board. So first things first, we're going to dive into the history of the Ouija board. But what is a Ouija board? What is it? What is it? It's a devilish little thing, no pun intended, (laughs) that was created as a way to communicate with spirits. It is a flat board marked with all 26 letters of the English alphabet, numbers 0 through 9, and the two words yes and no. Occasionally, some boards have the two extra words, hello and goodbye. Actually, most boards do now. Mm -hmm. A small piece of wood or plastic that is heart-shaped comes along with the board, and this piece is called a planchet, I hope. Mm -hmm. The planchet will act as the main way to communicate and spell out messages with your fingers attached to it. It will be drawn to certain numbers, certain letters or phrases, and shifted to whichever by an unseen force. The Ouija board, originally called a talking board, is kind of hard to pinpoint the origin of it. The idea behind the Ouija board is actually something we have discussed on here before, and it comes from automatic writing. Remember Hmm. we talked about that a little bit? Yeah. Or psychographic. Automatic writing is a psychic ability that allows that person to write words without consciously thinking of what they're writing. It usually looks like pretty chaotic and hectic, Mm -hmm. and it's understood by spirits taking control of the hand of the medium or communicating through them to write messages and letters. Usually, automatic writing happens in a trance-like state. Psychographics date back to the Song Dynasty. Oh my God. Really long time. Um, this type of spirit writing was later called planchet writing and then called Fuji. 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 Fujiwara. Um, it was. <laughs> Fiji water? <laughs> Fiji water? Yeah. What is Fuji though? Oh, it's the. Oh, it's still an island. Oh, camera. Fuji camera. Fiji is the island. Fiji is the water. Fuji. And Fuji and who. Huh? Fuji yeah, camera. It's a camera. It's a camera. It's a camera. Um, anyway, so planchet writing was a huge tradition in Chinese culture for mediums to receive various messages from spirits using automatic writing. Eventually, they switched to planchet writing where they would use some type of tray to, that would guide like a stick mm-hmm. and it would write in either sand or incense ashes, revealing Ooh. messages from the spirits they were communicating with. I want to try It was like that. a huge tray too. Like it was like almost like a table. Yeah, I think I've seen it in a movie mm-hmm. before. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. The use of this planchet writing began to give, quote, a black magic vibes mm. and was ultimately put to a stop during the, I'm sorry if I mispronounce this, um, Qing Dynasty. I don't know. I'm not really good with sounding out cues, actually, I realized. Really? Q. I, Q. King. Is it, how is it spelled? Q-I-N-G. Q, uh, you know what? It's not like I'm going to be able to help you. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Y'all just let us know. <laughs> Y'all. Y'all definitely let us know. But basically, they forbid it from them oh, doing it ever again. Wow. Um, of course, though, when something is forbidden, that only sparks just a little bit more interest right. in the practice. Tell me no, and I have to do it <laughs> The idea and ways of communicating with spirits carried on hidden away for hundreds of years until the spiritualist movement. Starting in the early 1840s, a movement dedicated to the afterlife took off. This was known as the spiritualist movement. It was based on the belief that the spirits of the dead exist and have the ability and the necessary means to communicate with the living. Mm. Spiritualists view the afterlife as a complex place where spirits are not stuck, but are actually evolving to the point where they are more advanced than humans. So like, I feel like the afterlife is um, really misconcepted or whatever the word I'm looking for is. 
um, where people think that ghosts or spirits are like trapped there. And like I, that is that is the case mm-hmm. um, a lot of the times. But this spiritualist movement, they thought of the afterlife or that holding place that keeps spirits here. The in-between. The in-between was more of like them um, being able to evolve into something that would help them ascend. I, I'm mm-hmm. thinking like that's maybe how- fixing your karma. Yeah. 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 Oh, something God. something along those lines. There's so many different religions that look at, you know, like Christianity is mm-hmm. basically, well, my, I can't think of the, I'm going to say my version of Christianity, but like, um, not Catholic, not Catholicism, where it's like you go straight from when you die, you go straight to heaven. Mm-hmm. And then isn't it, it's in Catholicism or, some, or another form of it where it's like, that's why they don't cremate you because you ascend whenever god or jesus comes back or god or whichever one um comes back i guess they're all the same comes back um they like you have to have your earthly body still here even though your soul is no longer yeah so like maybe that you would still be in the in-between at that point i don't know much about catholicism because i was raised southern baptist but yeah yeah interesting yeah it's also different and then another and many other ones are talking about reincarnation and all the things so there's so many different versions of the afterlife in between situation Mm -hmm, for sure um, they also believe, sorry, the spiritualists, they also believe that spirits in the afterlife were able to communicate about moral and ethical issues. And mm. that's that, like you said, karma, right. that's what they were there for. Like they were trying to fix their wrongs. Um, and if they couldn't fix their wrongs, they were trying to give insight to others about potential wrongdoings or ethically spirit wrong. guides. Yeah. Sp- well, yeah, you're getting yeah, to my look, point there we go. <laughs> Um, as well, they also gave insight on the nature of God. Members of this movement were huge on the idea of, Taylor already said it, spirit guides. Spirit guides are exactly what they sound like. It's a spirit that acts as a protector and a guide to a specific human being. Um, Do you want to actually talk a little bit about your spirit guide right now? Oh, yeah. I haven't. I don't think I've ever really even gone into detail about it. Yeah. Well, we don't have to. Well, no, I want to. It'll be fun. Yeah. So um, I I think I might have touched on it once before in a creepy account episode way, way before and um basically i i've always known of spirit guides you know but more so like in the in the way that i was raised it was more of like your angels um in that way which spirit guides are your angels Mm -hmm. and you know it just depends on how you perceive them i guess and um whenever i met susan and you guys already know susan we love susan uh and she also does over the phone you know all the things in knoxville if you ever want a reading she's got a discount code with us so definitely check her out um but the first time i met susan i i i didn't want a necessarily a greeting i didn't want to connect with anybody that had passed because everybody that i that's in my life that has passed i know you know i know how they are because i am such a spiritual person so that's not more of what i wanted i wanted more of like a reading on me and um that came for me in the form of a spirit guide i got to meet my spirit guide and i had done many like spirit um spirit guide led meditations in a way to like go and meet them and uh, I'd done many with Arletta I think you and I did one with Arletta before and um I I knew I knew who they were and I knew like how they felt it was very safe to me but I could never see them which is one of my biggest issues with with my practices and what I do and um I'm not really good at seeing and so I 
when I met Susan, she was like, oh, you have your spirit guide here with you. And I was like, can you tell me what they look like? And I knew it was a man. I immediately was like, can you tell me what he looks like? And she goes, oh, so you know he's a man. I'm like, yes, I can t- like tell it's very protective energy. Right. And um, not that women can't be, but that's just what it is for me. And um, she said, well, he showed himself to you when you were five. And I was like, is he the man from the hallway? Son of a gun. <laughs> that son of a gun. <laughs> um, so when I was little, I was about five years old. I was laying on my couch and I um, had like me and my dad and my mom had been watching a movie. And beside my living room, there's a really long open hallway. And I was laying on the couch that was facing the TV. And from my right peripheral, I could see the hallway. And my dad was laying on the couch um, that like he was laying down asleep on the couch. Um, As that, all dads do. <laughs> yeah. They, they can never hang for a movie um, that, you know, you couldn't see into the hallway at that point unless you sat up. So um, we had w- been watching a movie and I f- fell asleep. And my mom w- got up to go wash her face um, and get ready for bed. And let me and my dad lay there. And I opened my eyes because I, f- I heard something and the TV was muted. The TV was off, in fact. And it was, I opened my eyes and my dad was laying over there. So I was thinking, oh, maybe he snored. But I, you know, stayed up for a little bit. I was five. So, you know, whatever. Right. And um, I, I hear like stomping and I'm like, oh my God, my mom's walking. Like my mom's a stomper. I'm a stomper. Yeah. And um, yes, you are. I, I look, I see something moving to my right. So I look in my peripheral and I'm looking down this hallway and there's this Native American man and he's like dancing down the hallway and he keeps saying like, hi, Taylor, um, I'm here for you, Taylor. And so I'm screaming bloody murder. <laughs> like, who is that? And my dad's waking up and, you know, dad wakes wakes up so panicked. Right. And mom comes sprinting into the room with like <laughs> suds all over her face from where she was washing it. And they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, there's a man. There was a man dancing on the hallway. He was saying that he came for me, that he came for me. And they looked all around the house. And I was like, no, he was like a Native American man. And anyway, so he... He came for, and so I, I, I didn't tell the story to Susan. I, I was like, okay, I think I know who you're talking about. And she goes, he um, is Native American and he's wearing like a chief cap, which is what he, the man was wearing. Like a, a yeah. it's not called a cap, but you know what I mean? Like the headpiece. And he basically came from um, the land where my house is. And that's because the Cherokee Native Americans, they had, um, they lived in the area that I was in, uh, that I grew up in there. That's where red clay is, which was the final meeting area of the oh, Cherokee yeah. before the trail of tears. So very awful shit yeah, near where I sure. live. Yeah. But basically he had been buried up there or had done like ceremonial things up there. And so that was really interesting to me because I don't have any native American in me. And I thought for the longest that I did because I felt so, I don't want to say I felt so connected to it. Um, but I was always so intrigued by it. Um, the history and I I don't know I just it it like made a lot of things in my life make sense and she described him to me and I was like that that's him that's literally him then I told her the story and then a few years later because you know that was in December of 2019 that I first met met Susan yeah um she I you know I see Susan often um she said oh she came in one day to my house she goes oh you you have a new spirit guide with you and I was like, okay, you can have more than one. Like, what's that about? She goes, you unlock, unlock. Um, they show themselves to you at different points in your life. And they can change or they can grow the number of ones that you have. And the next one was like this 
awesome woman goddess situation Ugh, that heck yeah yeah and she um was She's i don't a know total babe right, total babe and she was like an ancestor of the, the my spirit guide or maybe someone that was very close with him and um basically she came into my life whenever i moved into like a new part of womanhood and mm-hmm. kind of took over and so yeah those are my spirit guides and she is just guiding you along this babe path yeah this, this hot thanks girl for summer. sharing yeah, thanks guys so for cool. listening i hope you enjoyed um back to the story uh this then new religion the spiritualist movement was huge like i'm talking by 1897 there were more than 8 million followers in the United States and Europe. Oh, my God. And the most interesting part is that of these 8 million, the majority of these believers, these followers, were actually from the upper class. Wow. Which that is very sense. interesting, yeah. I think. Well, you wouldn't think it makes sense, but it kind of does. You know it, what I mean? Yeah, it kind of does. Um, they hosted camps, retreats, lectures, and tours, which were all guided by established mediums. Many of the established or prominent medium members of the movement were women. Mm-hmm. We knew that. And they were huge advocates of abolishing slavery as well as women's suffrage. Of course. I I wouldn't expect I anything. Would have, I would probably have been in the movement. No, we would have been leading the movement. Well, we would have been the prominent women <laughs> in the movement. We would have been hung and burned and, and stake, been told probably. that we were witches because of how crazy we'd be involved. Yeah, probably. Um, spiritualism continued until the 1920s when it began to lose its credibility after accusations of fraud mediums and eventually evolved into three different paths. Um, one, syncre- syncretism two spiritualist are and three spiritualist churches mm. a big role in this movement when it was flourishing was creating a way to communicate with the dead by object mm. and they did so by the use of talking boards which we know from back in the song dynasty um they were so popular throughout the members that in 1886 communicating with the dead through talking boards was in the front page of almost every newspaper in northeastern america like wow. it took over like, it was a huge deal. Meanwhile, they're like, we burned all the witches, so we're fucked. Right. <laughs> yeah. Their talking board was much like today's Ouija board, which was patented by a man named Elijah Bond in 1890. Let's talk about him a little bit. Okay. Elijah Jefferson Bond was born on January 23rd, 1847 in Bel Air, Maryland. Mm. He was the fourth cult of Judge William Bond and his wife. Sorry, fourth child of Judge <laughs> William Bond and his wife, Charlotte. <laughs> Upon graduating high school, Elijah went on to law school at the University of Maryland, graduating in 1872, in which he joined the Masons in 1873, a.k.a. Freemasons, Freemasons, um, which plays a large role in this story and opened a practice in Baltimore. One of his best friends from college, who was also a Mason, named Harry Wells Rusk, um, who would later actually become the president of Kennard Novelty Company on Halloween in 1890. Okay. What an interesting coincidence. That is, um, hmm. Although Elijah was not a member of Kenner Novelty Company, Harry Rush hooked him up because of the idea Elijah proposed to patent a planchet to be sold with the boards, which Mm. he would call Ouija. But this was not at all Elijah's original idea, as his sister-in-law, Helen Peters, was a medium and used the talking board to communicate with spirits. Mm. At the time, talking boards, not only because of the massive spiritual awakening that was rocking the world, but specifically in the U.S. because of mediums, they were a hot topic. They're popping. After the Civil War, almost every family had lost a loved one. People were desperate to believe in the afterlife in a way to speak with those who existed there for guidance, closure, and reassurance. 
mediumship until this point had been looked at as witchcraft, which we know. <laughs> right. The Salem witch trials. Literally still to today. But now it was all the craze. But if mediums just spoke through themselves, well, people weren't really believing it. Therefore, all mediums and psychics began practicing with the boards, creating portals, and using the energy to prove to those watching that their abilities were real. Elisha saw this as an amazing business opportunity when visiting his brother and sister-in-law, so he proposed the idea to Helen, asking her what she thought. So she asked the board, her talking board, the spirits, and her guides. And the board slowly spelled out, O-U-I-J-A, Ouija. What does it mean, Helen asked, as Elijah stood speechless beside her. G-O-O-D-L-U-C-K. Good luck. <laughs> Me trying to put those letters together <laughs> in, in my ancient head. Egyptian. And that was it. Elijah had his million dollar idea. The planchet in the talking board patent was filed on May 28, 1890 and issued on February 10, 1891, becoming U.S. patent 446,054. However, they continued to market them as talking boards without using the word Ouija. An employee of Elijah named William Fold took over the talking board production in 1901 when he began producing his own boards under the name Wee Ouija Boards since it had not been involved in the original patent of the bonds, patent of bonds, just more of a nickname. And because of this, Fold's Ouija boards took over the market, pushing Bond's million-dollar idea to the side. William Fold had reinvented history and taken all the credit for himself. That's oh fucked up. Oh, my God. By 1907, Elijah Bond, who was infuriated, and a lawyer who couldn't even win a case over fuel trademarked his own Nirvana talking boards on June 18th. Holy shit. He couldn't even win the patent back no. or sue him. That's crazy. And he was a fucking lawyer. Yeah. That's crazy. Nirvana talking boards look similar to the Ouija boards. The letters A through M in a curved line on top with N through Z below and 1 through 0 in straight line. Sorry, 1 through 10. Well, 1 through 0. Yeah, it says 1 through Nine, 0. 9-0. Yeah. Um, 1 through 0 in a straight line and farewell written below. The four corners of the board were a little drawing with the upper right-hand corner saying no and the upper left-hand corner saying yes. However, Bond assigned his trademark to Swastika Novelty Company in West Virginia. Vomitus. Therefore, the logo on top was a swastika. Bullshittery. In 1919, Elijah Bond had a massive stroke, causing full paralysis, and he died on April 14, 1921. Just as Fold's Ouija boards became top sellers across the world, he has held over 21 Ouija-related patents and copyrights. Holy shit. In 1920, an advertisement in the Metropolitan Magazine featured promises of a talking board that, quote, prophesies, forewarns, and prefigures your destiny with the image of a disembodied face floating behind a player's shoulder. No. Come play this game. Yeah. Figure out your destiny. This this man's going to come float up behind you. Great. Yeah. Come play this game, um, which is the image we now see on the bottom corners of the board. These boards were being sold for $1.50 each. Oh, my God. However, William Fold had made well over $1 million in net profit, a.k.a. after paying employees, supplies, marketing, labeling, packaging, etc., he was making pure cash off of these boards. One million. In 19 what? 20 what? 1920. 1920. 1920. You're making one mil? How, I mean, what in the That's hell could that be today? That's a lot of money on Ouija boards. On something that on was Ouija so boards. witchcrafty. Yeah. And they're like, oh, don't do that. We burned everybody. Right. On February 24th, <clears throat> my birthday, 1927, <laughs> William Fold passed away after falling off the roof of his talking board 
factor to over. Oh my God. Sorry. I forgot about this when I wrote it. Um, was after he passed away after falling off the roof of his talking board factory to oversee the installation of a flagpole. Damn. That's Damn. some karma. Yeah. After his death, his children, Catherine and William Fold, took over the company and his youngest brother, Hubert, became the president of Fold Incorporated. And they had a different, much more aggressive approach to selling their Ouija boards, making it seem like spirituality was for everyone and that it was something you needed in your home. Because of this, the Fold family caught the attention of one of America's largest toy companies, the Parker Brothers, Mm -hmm. who bought the manufacturing rights to Ouija boards in 1966, keeping the original design, but adding a family-friendly makeover to the board that would be easier to sell to families since that was their market. They sold the boards and boxes that displayed a mysterious shoulder figure, similar to Fold's 1920s magazine advertisement, Um, and this figure was waving a hand as if it were like casting a spell. Ooh. Um, advertising that the game had been made in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, False lies. Yeah, like, whoa. But, like, what a good marketing technique. Right, yeah, that's genius. (laughs) This podcast is actually being recorded in Salem. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This was a perfect timing as spiritualism and the occult was the most popular that it had ever been. In 1967, after just one year of Parker Brothers obtaining the rights to Ouija, it had outsold Monopoly. Holy shit. Holy shit. And it's just like crazy. Monopoly. That, like Monopoly is like a game that you can literally like it has point to it. Like yeah. you're playing it to have a point. Like Ouija. Like there's no like winner. You know what I mean? Like it maybe is. Th- maybe there was like a, a a game that they created. Like how we create games like with random things. Right. Like maybe it was a drinking game. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't play it. Um, this is I when we wouldn't. start seeing the board in pop culture. Such as the 1973 film The Exorcist. But even these terrifying movies and satanic panic of the 80s were not enough to keep these boards from flying off of the shelves. By this time, late 80s, early 90s, Parker Brothers began marketing the boards as a fun game that kids and teenagers hid under their beds to play together at sleepovers and hangouts. Yeah. They became a staple for sleepovers and birthday parties. Hasbro actually acquired the rights to the boards in 1999. 1991, when they absorbed Parker Brothers, mm. which is when the board stopped its overwhelming advertisements and commercials geared towards kids. Thanks, Hasbro. Like, probably a smart move, right? <laughs> yeah. This was primarily due to the fact that churches were warning against the product. Ouija boards were a symbol of Satan to Christians. Kids used these to rebel for the thrill of the unknown. And when Hollywood picked them up, they played on the demonic side of the boards, using them to showcase possession and evil spirits. Occultists were divided on this. Some believed it was for dark magic and only experienced users should play with the boards, where others believed it was a tool for positive transformation and spiritual guidance. I mean, for years in the past, that that is what it was for. And you know what's so funny is for the most part, Hollywood, Christians think that Hollywood's against us, but really Hollywood was working in your favor. Right. It was making everybody scared as shit of using these boards. Yeah, exactly. Um, But how did this board that is made up of letters, numbers, illustrations, and words just become so evil? Well, we have our answer. Yeah, tell us, Morgan. It's Hollywood. Of course. So simple. Hollywood. Until this point, they were used for literally illustration, then spiritualism, then a fun, thrilling game. Used by Hollywood as a joke, silly, as seen in the 1951 episode of I Love Lucy, where she and Ethel host a seance using the board. Like, that's a comedy. Right. Um, When Hollywood released The Exorcist, claiming it to be based on a true story, people were scared. Any movie that you see, this is based on a true story, it's 
freaking terrifying. You're immediately like, okay. <laughs> like, you're immediately like, all like, your guard's up. Right. Like, you're like, oh shit, is something gonna come through the TV? <laughs> no, really. Um, yeah, people were scared and they watched as the board changed 12 year old Reagan, possessing her with demonic spirits and changed the fabric of pulp culture. Overnight, Ouija boards became a tool of the devil, which is why it continued to be used in scary movies and used to open the portal to hell. But they continued to sell as they were now spooky and exciting, turning Ouija boards from religious objects to now folklore and cautionary tales. So the real question is, do Ouija boards really work? Many studies have been conducted over the last 160 years on these spiritual boards, in which it has been proven that test subjects were moving the planchet involuntarily meaning that our subconscious tricks us. It wants it to move. So our brain does it itself, not the spirits or demons. And planchets are made to make the smallest muscle twitches effective in moving as a result. Mm-hmm. Planchets are light, lightweight wooden pieces that are smooth with felt or slick plastic feet to aid in sliding across the board easily. Though scientists do not believe they can give us answers from the spiritual realm, they do believe that they are a great, great way of examining how the mind processes information on various levels. Researchers at the University of British Columbia's Visual Cognition Lab used the board to research and debate the levels of consciousness. So cool. Conscious, unconscious, subconscious, preconscious, and zombie mind. Oh. But that is really the extent. If you have listened to us long enough, you know that we absolutely do not fuck with Ouija boards. We do not fuck with Ouija boards. And why don't we? Because of the energy. If we have taught you anything in the 81 regular episodes we have released over the last year and a half, let this be one. When something is said to be dark or evil, we think of it in that way. Mm -hmm. It causes fear and dark thoughts. And that is low vibrational energy. Energy that you are directly sending towards these things, whatever it is. And where do dark and demonic spirits thrive? In those dark places. In the low vibrational energy. Wherever there is fear or low vibrations creating a portal lifting the veil. And that is where Ouija boards get their power. Not all of them. But it is just like any doll, any Dybbuk box, or the Dybbuk box, any haunted book, toy dinosaur, anything haunted, etc. And they become powerful. But let's get to the part that you really came for. The true stories of Ouija boards. Oh, <laughs> um, these are all from Reddit. The first one I'm going to tell you guys is from, it was posted by Reddit user Lil Pink Rodent okay. um, three years ago on the Ouija board stories thread. And it's titled The Old Woman's the old woman predicted my aunt's future. Oh, question shit. Mark. So I'm not sure that we've talked about this yet, but sorry, Marley's wedding is coming up and it seems to be happening so fast. And I don't know about you, but the second a big event is approaching and the outfit coordination decor stress sets in, my skin immediately breaks out. We've all had struggles with our skin, and that's why we're excited to partner with Apostrophe, a sponsor of Creeps and Crimes. Working with Apostrophe has been so nice and easy. If I have a question, I simply get on my portal, message my provider, and they reply so quickly with detailed explanations every time. Not to mention, you're talking to a real dermatologist that knows your skin, created your treatment plan, and tailored it just for you. You don't have to go through the hassle of scheduling an appointment and our skin is glowing. glowing. Y'all, it's glowing. Apostrophe treats all types of acne, from hormonal acne to facial acne and even chest knee, back knee, and butt knee. They treat breakouts from head to toe. 
Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. Apostrophe connects you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your unique skin. Simply fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and medical history, then snap a few selfies and your dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. And we have a special deal for our audience. Save $15 off of your first visit with an apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com slash creeps and crimes when you use our code creeps and crimes. This code is only available for our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash creeps and crimes and click begin visit. Then use our code creeps and crimes at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. That is A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creeps and crimes and use that code creeps and crimes to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for $5. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. The user says, I have never dabbled in anything besides homemade tarot cards, but my aunt did. She was known for always being very reckless and carefree. When she was about 15, she was left home alone and decided that she wanted to try a Ouija board. Whenever she's been asked why, she just tells us that she's already been, she's always been curious and wanted to know if it really worked. Mm. She had to wait to be alone because my grandfather didn't allow for my aunt to dabble in practices that could go dark with good reason. Mm -hmm. However, when they left her home alone, she decided to try it. They didn't have a Ouija board since my grandfather would never allow it. So instead, she crafted one out of a wood and shop and a sharpie and a shoppy. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I know most of you are thinking that there's no way that would work, but there have been many cases where it has. If you provide spiritual or demonic entities with a medium you contact you with, it doesn't matter what it is. By touching the makeshift wooden planchet with the intent of summoning something, some why can't I talk summoning something? My aunt granted whatever entity access to communicate with her. Energy, and, what we were just talking about. Right. And potentially attach itself to her. Unfortunately, this is what happened. The Ouija board ended up working, much to my aunt's initial delight, and she got in contact with the spirit of an old woman. The woman told her that she could predict the future. So, of course, my aunt asked her questions such as, what will I study in university? Where will I be in 20 years? And how will I die? I will never ask anybody that. Me neither. My aunt was skeptic of this woman's abilities, but knew that she shouldn't ask about her death date. Even if the woman couldn't, the date would still be in my aunt's mind and most likely plague her thoughts. Yeah. Anyways, the board answered English, Canada, and the same as your mother eventually will, breast cancer. (gasps) My aunt at the time thought all of these were ludicrous since she has always wanted to study the sciences in university. And at the time, my grandma hadn't gotten cancer yet. So my aunt being the ballsy and stupid kid she was taunted the entity about her disbelief (gasps) and asked the entity to prove it. So the entity told her that my grandfather would be home one hour earlier than planned and catch her with the board. She didn't believe the entity, of course, and continued to taunt it. This, in turn, angered it and resulted in becoming hostile towards my aunt. My aunt started experiencing cuts forming on her arms and they continued to travel up. Oh my God. She screamed and threw the planchet right when my grandfather walked in and caught her in the act. <sighs> Saying he was fuming was apparently an understatement. My grandfather, being very spiritual, closed the board properly by saying goodbye and immediately had a priest come bless the house. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dad. Heck yeah. Afterwards, my aunt, of course, was in a lot of trouble. She tried to show my uncle the cuts received on her arms only for them to have disappeared. The pain was still there without any of the physical scarring. It's safe to say my aunt was petrified. The worst part, my aunt went to university to study English. 
After getting her bachelor's, the whole family immigrated to Canada as my grandfather's visa finally got approved. He was planning this for ages, but the visa took over a decade to be approved. Finally, my grandma has gotten breast cancer twice. And while she hasn't passed away yet, her time is approaching. My aunt is absolutely petrified and tells us tells all of us the story to ensure we never dabble in any of these spiritual objects. I myself am quite the skeptic of all things spiritual and demonic in nature. I'm an atheist, ex-theist, but wonder if there is any plausibility to this because I can't deny that my aunt is always petrified at the mention of any of these objects. She is not the type to be frightened easily of anything, so it does make me question whether this is real. Have any of you had similar experiences with an entity that could predict the future or cause cuts on your arms that vanished? Or simply, any sort of story revolving around contacting spirits that you think might help me understand all of this more and maybe lower my skepticism? If so, please let me know. Um, (laughs) I love that question. So if you guys have ever had any similar experiences with an entity that could predict the future or cause cuts on your arms that vanished, let us know. Yeah, or let them know. Little pink rodent. Yeah, little pink rodent. Um, the next story we have is posted by user Savage King FN five three eight two seven, um, three years ago on the same thread, and it's titled Ouija Board Experience at School Twenty Sixteen Texas. Oh shit! So me, eleven, and my brother and his friends that were a bit older than me told me to go inside of their teacher's classroom to do a Ouija board session. So I really didn't think much of it because I didn't know what it was and what it did. I put my hand on it and asked if it was a boy or a girl. It moved to G, so I assumed girl. I asked if it came to haunt one of us, and it spelled out my name. I was very shocked since I didn't tell my name at all. And then my nose suddenly started to bleed, though I had never had a nosebleed in my life. I ran to the bathroom and took care of it when I looked up into the mirror, and I saw a small little girl behind me. I wanted to do a poker face, but I couldn't. (laughs) Call the police. I swiftly looked behind me and saw no one was there. I was mostly frightened since I saw the girl and concluded that I was in fact being followed by a ghost of a girl or a man in a suit. I feel like I am being watched even when I am taking a shower with me, just me inside the bathroom. That was a good one. Oh my God. Short little good one. Uh, Side note for everybody. I, I think I've said this once before. I don't know if it was on a Patreon or a regular, but one of the most one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten when cleansing my home is that your shower or faucets or sink or anything like that is just as much as an entrance into your home as your front door is crazy. So when you cleanse your house the same way you would cleanse your front door, you cleanse your shower. So it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last one I have is from um, user not as vague two seven zero four two three years ago on the same thread. It's a scary first experience. This past summer, me and my friend were on a spooky kick. You know, scary movies, sleepover games, midnight rituals, just a bunch of stuff to freak us out. The ending of this kick was, of course, to play with a Ouija board. Not us. (laughs) We bought it, then went over to to her friend's house because she was house-sitting and it was empty. We arrived, looked up rules, lit candles, and followed everything that the internet said to do. At first, we weren't getting anything. We were both wishful thinking... I think, and we're subconsciously moving it at first. I was going really slow and not making any sense. So we looked up what to do if nothing was working, and it said to take a break and come back to it. So that's what we did. Mm. Oh, no. No. When we came back, as soon as we did, the board started answering our questions. I am a former self-harmer and have have had, sorry, trigger warning, and have a suicidal past and things like that. The first thing that alarmed me was that it said there were 13 entities in the room with us. I asked how many were bad, and it said 12 out of the 13 were bad. 
The second thing was that it spelled out my last name. I kept asking what what about it and finally it answered that they liked me. I asked why and it said, you bleed, which I instantly just knew they were talking about the self-harm, which was terrifying. So we stopped, said goodbye and everything and took another break. We came back and I asked it if there was something that I should know when it proceeded to tell me a very huge secret that my friend was keeping from me. She tried to stop, and when she did, it gave me even more details about what happened. We stopped then because neither of us could handle it anymore. We threw the board away in a McDonald's dumpster and tried not to think about it. About two weeks later, the board was back and in my friend's mom's back seat of oh her car. God. We have no idea how it got there. My friend knew nothing of how it got there, and her mom didn't even know we did it because we would get in huge trouble. After playing with the board for about two weeks after, I constantly felt watched and this deep, heavy feeling walking around in my house. I heard noises constantly. One time, my phone glitched and distorted the voice on the other end, then shut off. A bang went off by my face one night that sounded like someone punching the wall as hard as they could. And I hear noises in the cupboard and opening it to find cups and bowls flipped over completely or on their sides. All of this went away, though, and I re- rarely feel things, although sometimes that heavy feeling comes back. Um, and then someone commented. I'm just going to read this comment, and then we're going to get to Taylor's part. It was commented by user Nicole H. 1978, and um, they replied, That loud noise you heard next to your face was probably a phenomenon called a rat bore, which is a spirit world's version of a sonic boom. And it happens when a spirit pierces the veil between dimensions because of the difference in the frequency levels of different dimensions. I have used Ouija boards before, and sometimes whatever you contact can attach itself to you. Something attached itself to me, and I could see, sorry, I got a notification. I could see um, things, hear knocking and scratching on the walls of my house, and my bed would shake. I did a blessing and sealed my house and property, and that got rid of whatever had attached itself to me. I now know to set up spiritual protection before I use things like that. My sister and a friend used the Ouija board, and it predicted that my sister's friend would try to kill herself. Which she did a few weeks later by drinking bleach. Oh my, my mom God. used the Ouija board many years ago when she was pregnant and had asked if the baby would be a boy or a girl. The planchet kept spinning in a circle faster and faster and wouldn't give an answer. My mom lost that baby by miscarriage. I don't know exactly what we connect to through those boards, but they are very dark and they are very dangerous. Oh my God. And that is the Ouija board. And that but is why we do not use them. That is why we do not use them. Um, but I think Taylor has some true yes. crime. I have talk some about true crime for stuff. you guys. Are you ready? Let's get it. All right, guys. So you're going to be getting from me a few different true crime cases, but they are all the devil or Ouija boards made me do it murders. Oh, shit. So the first one is from the 19, 1930 in Buffalo, New York. In early 1900s, French artist, renowned sculptor Henry Marchand and his wife painter, and it's, oh, this is, this is a rough one. Um, it's clothalide. It's spelled clothalide, but I know that's not how you pronounce it in French. So, so clothalide. <laughs> there's that. Um, they had immigrated to the United States with their five children. The family settled in New York, where Henry began working as a diorama artist. I think that's how you pronounce it. um, At the New York State Museum. A diorama is a 19th century mobile theater device. And basically, it's a scenic representation in which a partly translucent painting is seen from a distance through an opening that you look through. 
And it's similar to the way that Disney created the three-dimensional... Didn't... 3D, <laughs> 3D <laughs> cartoons. Yeah. Not like 3D how we think like IMAX, you know what I mean? Right. But like... Um, Instead of like the paper cartoons. Yeah, like layering the background so there's dimension. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in 1925, Henry and his sons, Paul and George, which were two of the oldest, and one of his daughters, um, Henrietta, were hired to construct dioramas by the Society of Natural Sciences in Buffalo, New York. Therefore, the entire family moved from New York City to Buffalo. Once there, these projects were to celebrate the lives and culture of the Native American tribes that had been in the area, which included the Seneca tribe. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that is how I grew up knowing how to pronounce it, but I could be very, very wrong. So Henry, his wife, and their kids would occasionally go stay in a nearby on a nearby reservation in this like beautiful cottage, and they did this on many occasions in order to let Henry study the flora and fauna of the area and also get a closer look of the culture. Um, So 53-year-old Henry became very close with one of the tribe members who he who had aided him in his work and basically what this woman did was modeled for the majority of the paintings that he would put in this um, museum and this woman was 36-year-old Leela Jemerson and she was of the um, Seneca and Cayuga tribes in northern New York. So they became very close and I'm talking so much so that Leela would actually stay at the family's home like time and time again. And during this time, the couple spent a ton like that they were spending on this reservation. Clothalide would gather like wild mushrooms and she would create sketches of the countryside and just just a way for her to keep her artistic skills because she was a painter and had put her entire career aside to raise the children and let Henry go forward in his art. Yeah. So it was just a way to keep her skills flowing and growing. So it was magical and earth connecting and spiritual for this artistic couple to be able to exist in such a beautiful area and being allowed by the people that own the reservation to come on, which wasn't very often right, that was allowed. Not common. And still, it's not right. very much allowed. So on March 6, 1930, Henry II, so the youngest son of the family, returned home from school. When he walked in the front door, he saw his mother clothalide sprawled out on the base of the stairs on the family's first floor landing badly injured but dead little henry ran as fast as he could from the family's home to the museum which was just down the road to get his father and two older brothers who then called for help when authorities arrived at the home along with henry and their children it was determined that clothalide had slipped and fallen down the stairs However, the medical examiner found bloody gashes, signs of a severe struggle and major injuries to Clotholide's tiny French body, who, who was known for being like this tiny, tiny little petite lady. Yeah. And it was obvious that she had fought for her life in a vicious battle. And this was all confirmed by the smell coming from Clotholide's mouth. It was coming from a paper that had been forced down her throat, covered in chloroform. Clothalide had been murdered. Police began questioning those in the home and the neighbors, and neighbors explained that there had been a native woman at the home just hours before. Therefore, they questioned Henry about any native women that would be near their home or know the family, to which he directed them to Lila. Shockingly, Lila confessed 
to the murder of Clothalide and named her accomplice. 68-year-old Nancy Bowen, a Seneca tribal healer, both of which were then arrested. Nancy and Leela told investigators that they were searching for an explanation for the recent death of Nancy Bowen's husband, also a Seneca healer, Sassafras Charlie Bowen. Using the Ouija board to communicate with his spirit, and once he came forward, they asked him the question, What happened? Why did you die? Did someone kill you? He slowly, the planchette began moving. T-H-E-Y-K-I-L-L-E-D-M-E. They killed me. Who? The women asked. Again, the planchette began sliding from letter to letter. C-L-O-T-H-I-L-D-E-5-7-6-R-I-L-E-Y-S-T. Clothalide. 576 Riley Street, which was her address. Oh my God. The women believed that Clothalide was a witch. Therefore, Leela began cre- creating a relationship between her and Clothalide, coming around often, staying at the house, becoming a trusted friend to see if she was truly a witch. During this time, Nancy began receiving letters from a woman named Miss Dooley, explaining that she knew for a fact that Clothalide was a witch and she had hexed Bowen's husband out of jealousy. Her witchcraft did not work, so she decided to kill him herself, Miss Julie wrote. Therefore, Nancy decided that she would be next. Clothalide had to die. Leela was to go to the museum and keep Henry from returning home, which was easy to do since the two had started having an affair. Oh, shit. Henry later said that he had so many affairs that he had lost count, as it was easier for his models to be naked for the paintings around him. And he would paint them with a more intimate connection, which would make the painting better. Okay. Okay. I'm (sighs) sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Leela distracted Henry while Nancy went to the family's home, knocked on the door, and Clothalite answered. She invited Nancy in because she explained that she was a friend of Leela's. Once in the home, the door was closed, and Nancy, who did not speak great English, began accusing Clothalide of being a witch and killing her husband. Clothalide, confused and trying to reason with Nancy, but did not realize what danger she was truly in, was until, that was until, until, (laughs) until, Nancy pulled out a hammer and began beating Clothalide to death. Once she was no longer moving, Nancy forced a chloroform-soaked... Did I say chlorophyll earlier? It's mm. chloroform, if I, I said that. I said chloroform. Um, chloroform-soaked piece of paper down her throat and left the home. The trial began in which Henry explained that his wife knew of all of his affairs and was okay with them as they were both artists, and they had made this understanding for a free love connection. It's a creative lifestyle, and it was a, quote, pro- professional necessity. I don't know about that one. Right. I don't know about that one. Not too sure. But upon hearing this, Leela Jemerson collapsed. And there was a mistrial that had to be declared because she was in such bad condition. Turns out Leela had a lung condition and had been admitted to the hospital, which upon being admitted, she pled guilty to second degree murder. However, it was obviously quickly retracted because she was not in her right mind. Like she couldn't breathe. So who can think in the right mind when you can't breathe? Yeah. And you're having a panic attack because the man you love um, just told you that you're one of a bill, you know? Yeah, not cool. 
So by the time the second trial commenced, both the women had been held without bond. Um, so they had been imprisoned or jailed this entire time. But Henry was already remarried. Oh, was he to a model? <laughs> no, it's worse. To his wife's 18-year-old niece. And they were living in, Al- in Albany. <sighs> Leela denied any involvement in the murder other than just having an affair with Henry, in which she had asked, in which he had asked her and many of his other mistresses if they would help to, quote, get rid of his wife because he was, quote, tired of her. Oh, shit. Anthropologist Arthur C. Parker testified that the instruments used to kill clothalide were used accordingly to their beliefs, um, to the to the women's beliefs. And they were the tools were used to expel evil spirits. Oh. So just over a year had passed since Clothalide's murder when the second trial officially ended in which Leela Jemerson was found innocent and Nancy had been found guilty. However, she was only given a sentence of the time she had already served. Therefore, both of the women were freed. No way. I mean, but you have to think like when I was reading this, I was like, what the fuck? You have to think like they were they thought she was a witch. So they were doing what they were taught to do in their religion i mean i don't think it's fair i don't think anybody should die but like i under i understand and i do think that these women another part of me when i was reading this i was like they just turned it on natives yeah he did it they turned it on the native americans yeah and just to get out so i don't know how much i truly believe like he but she admitted to it. Nancy did. But again, th- these are from court documents and newspaper articles that I'm reading from this time. So there's really no telling right. what really happened. We'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Henry actually um, died at the age of 73 in 1951. And Leela Jemerson, despite her lung condition, lived until 1972 and married another painter and lived happily ever after. Glothalide's daughter, Henrietta. Um, said that her mother was a quote true artist who never had the chance when her mother's paintings were exhibited in the memorial in a memorial tribute. Aww. All right, on to the next story. 1933, we're in St. John's, Arizona. Dorothea and Ernest Turley um, lived with their two children, David and Maddie, on a ranch near St. John's, Arizona. Dorothea had some sort of a she was some sort of an american sweetheart because she had won the title of american venus in 1917 oh shit so men were obsessed with her and this included ernest who would later end up being her husband but he was um serving in the u.s navy at the time and he just swept dorothea off of her feet with all of his charm and knowledge the two quickly eloped and lived in boston where they had their first daughter maddie in 1918 and then the next year they the well the the what the The couple welcomed their son david it was the perfect family of four in 1921 the family moved to california settling in coronado and the next decade the family was pretty quiet dorothea kind of fell off from her fame and the adoration of all the people in you know america just kind of fell to the side because Ernest navy's salary was just not paying for the things she needed to stay in the spotlight and that has to cause some sort of a relationship strain in any way you know for sure right because she's like thinking i'm royalty yeah and you can't fund me yeah yeah but that's my mindset it's mine too i hate that (laughs) i hate that i'm also royalty (laughs) 
we're royalty that, guys we work there's a difference she didn't work <laughs> i don't guess you really had the choice if it's in the 1930s anyways yeah facts yeah so um not to mention to add to the strain Ernest's health was really declining and it was as a result of war um he had basically a really hard time breathing due to the gases that he was exposed to during battles and because of this the family decided to move to arizona where it was drier and higher up so it would be easier for him to breathe officially moving there in august of 1933 and settling in a cabin high in the white mountains once there dorothea began hosting seances with her ouija board oh dorothea (laughs) Ernest always wrote her off you know just being like you're fucking crazy talking to your board you're royalty Um, though so you can do whatever whatever if that makes you happy go ahead yeah Um, however 15 year old Maddie loved being with her mom when she would perform her dark cabin seances and speak to the spirits through the board on the night of November 17th 1933 a skunk had gotten under the family's cabin and was duking it the fuck out with the family's pet cat oh no causing the skunk to like continually spray it's awful like smelling oh, spray my gosh. If, and the, no, that's Nona it's literally Nona it's literally Nona and then the cat if Gizzy was a cat that would be or if Gizzy was a skunk not a cat yeah that would be that'd Nona be Nona and, and not to mention like the cat they couldn't get the cat to come out like Nona and yeah. so the cat's just staying down there and like you know how cats get they're fucking yeah. crazy they make the scariest sound so no one got any sleep that night because a it smelled like shit and b it was the loudest like cat fight you've ever heard Are you looking for the perfect gift for a loved one? Well, do not fret. For Mother's Day, we have found you the perfect gift for the grandmas of the world. A Skylight Digital Photo Frame, a sponsor of Creeps and Crimes Podcast. One thing about my grandma is she loves photos. Every time I send her a new one, she asks me to print it off for her so she can frame it or hang it on the fridge. And I bet that fridge looks more like a memory board. (laughs) Absolutely. She can't even enjoy the photos anymore because they're bent, faded, and there's honestly just too many. (laughs) Nowadays, staying in touch with those we love is more important than ever. And the Skylight Digital Photo Frame makes it easy. You can either email photos to it or upload them from the app anytime from anywhere. It's a great way to feel close to those you love even when you're far away. Anyone in the family can send photos to the frame, so it's a great way to keep family members in touch. And it sets up so easy. I'm talking under 60 seconds, and even the least tech savvy can use it. It looks like a real photo frame that adds a beautiful touch to your home. Skylight Frame has a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen. You can swipe through photos with your finger and even tap to thank the person who sent the photo. 100% satisfaction is guaranteed. If you don't love your Skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. Preload it with favorite photos for a special Mother's Day gift. Surprise them with photos that they didn't even know you had. You can tap the heart button and it will let the sender know you love the photo. This makes the frame interactive and fun to use. And it's so simple. Even my non-tech savvy grandma set hers up all on her own, which is a feat. And she is obsessed with it. It's all she can talk about when I call her. (laughs) Their customers love Skylight. One Facebook review said, quote, this gives her a little glimpse of us every day. And then when we talk on the phone, she can talk to the boys about the pictures that we sent. Aww. Now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off of your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code CREEPS. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code CREEPS. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com and use code CREEPS. 
So the next morning, Dorothea and David were running into town to get groceries and to celebrate David's birthday at dinner with a cake and all the things. He got to pick out whatever he wanted. And it's November 18th at this point. And the family, like I said, got no sleep. They smell like shit. It's bad. So Ernest is like, I'm sitting my fucking ass outside all day long until I see this skunk come forward. And he's going to pop it. So he's sitting there with a shotgun, leaning up against a tree, just looking at the crawl space opening, just waiting. This skunk's got to go. Yeah. He's like, this this has been enough, especially if it's your son's birthday, you know? Yeah. So Maddie decided to stay back with her dad while her brother and mom ran to the store. And so he was, she was like, I'm going to kill this skunk with dad. And they, the kids knew how to use guns because they hunted a lot. Yeah. And they were well trained because, again, their dad was in the it, well, still is in the Navy. And so he really taught them a lot about like gun safety and mm-hmm. how to use them properly. So they all had their own guns. And again, 1930, something in the mountains, whatever. Right. So, um. They enjoyed hunting together, like I said, and this was something they did often. Like Dorothea and everybody would load up and go hunting. Um, but after a while, skunk. yeah. But after a while, Ernest kind of gave up and decided that he was just going to go get a bucket and corral their new cow and milk it. So Maddie followed him, holding her shotgun, and they milked the cow and started heading back to the house. Ernest was carrying the milk filled bucket, and 15-year-old Maddie was carrying her shotgun, walking behind him. As they headed through the gate, two shots rang out. Ernest fell to the ground and he had been hit in the hip with two bullets, looking back to check on his daughter immediately. Maddie was fine, but she was on her knees with a smoking shotgun laying beside her. Maddie began screaming and crying, Daddy, are you hurt? Like, Daddy, what did I do? Ernest was bleeding from this bullet, these bullet wounds, and he's like, go get help. What the fuck? Why did you shoot me? Right. So Maddie frantic ran to the neighbors who then called a doctor. And at this point, when Dorothea and David returned home, there were like so many people in the house, like all the neighbors, the doctor. smell of the skunk. Yeah. And like (laughs) the skunk is, I'd be so embarrassed. Like, you know what? Can we treat him outside the house? Can we actually do it with the cows? (laughs) Yeah. Can we do this on the front porch? Anyway, so they're treating them and all the neighbors are over and they're comforting Maddie, like helping, um, Ernest heal from this and Ernest just told Maddie like look this is a great lesson for you you've got to be more careful like we're very thankful that I'm not more hurt than I am it was just his hip but he wasn't angry because it was obviously an accident she tripped right (laughs) wrong so one neighbor um Kent Pierce who was a rancher offered to stay with the family and aid Dorothea as she tended to her husband so he stayed the entire night and held the lantern for her and help them out can't imagine time like that no i'd be like i can hold my own fucking lantern by the way it's fine um so once the news spread police officers along with the doctor returned the next day to check on Ernest and make sure he was healing property properly and they needed to just like file the report you know yeah so upon re-examining the now dried wounds the doctor showed officers that the bullets had entered Ernest's back straight on not from below, meaning that the gun had been aimed and fired, not dropped and fired. So whoever fired it was standing at the time. Once officers did, like learned this, they're like, okay, well, let's go talk to Maddie and just see what she has to say about this. And not long after, she admitted that she had shot her father on purpose. But why? 15-year-old Maddie explained to officers that she was simply obeying the commands of her mother's Ouija board. She went on to explain that she had um, raised and aimed her gun twice before, but didn't have the courage to pull the trigger. 
until she remembered how important it was for her mother to marry and be happy with her new handsome cowboy, a.k.a. Kent Pierce, the neighbor. Officers, confused, asked 15-year-old Maddie to elaborate because they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? A board told you to do this. Maddie explained that a few nights before, she and her mother were doing their regular seance when both Dorothea and Maddie had their fingers on the planchette. The board began talking to them. So it's planchette, and I called it planchette the entire time? Well, I say it differently. I think you, I thought you were saying it correctly. Planchette? Sorry, guys. Planchette. That's what I've been calling it. Oh, I it's thought you were saying planchette. planchette. Well, I don't know. I mean, I could be saying it wrong. Who okay. fucking knows? It's probably planchette. <laughs> so slowly the planchette began to move. D-A-D-D-Y-M-U-S-T-D-I-E. Daddy must die. Daddy must die. Which should be the name of a podcast. Um, don't steal that trademark, 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 trademark. trademark. Don't fucking steal that. Um, so <laughs> Maddie, obviously shaken by this message, asked her mother, like, OK, mom, do we really have to do what the board says? To which Dorothea responded, there is no escaping its command. And then the board began to move again. M-O-M-E-Y. No. M-O-M-M-Y-W-I-L-L. B E H A P P Y A W I T H T H E C O W B O Y. Mommy will be happy with the cowboy. Thank God you got it. Because holy hell. <laughs> and I, I typed below this in my notes. Damn, this board can fucking talk, bitch. I mean, yeah. Could you imagine? I'd be like, I can't even keep up. I'd be like, can I get my notepad? Yeah, hold on a second. I gotta take my fingers off. I gotta write this shit down. Yeah. Um, and officers went to Dorothea, obviously in earnest about this. And they're like, listen, your daughter just said that your board was the one who said that she had to kill her dad. And Ernest fucking shocked and horrified was like, I'm sorry, what? It wasn't an accident. And Dorothea enraged begins accusing the officers of manipulation, causing a scene and ordering them out of their home. But then Maddie came around the corner and said, mom, why don't you remember what the board told us the other night? That you were going to be happier with the cowboy. We had to kill daddy. You said I couldn't escape the command of it. So the officers are like, oh my fuck. So Maddie was then taken to juvenile court where she was sentenced to a reform school until the age of 21. Meanwhile, Ernest was deteriorating quickly. Therefore, the U.S. Marine Corps plane flew from... Did I say that right? Court? Whatever. Plane um, flew from San Diego to Arizona where it was going to take him back to California at this naval base hospital to take better care of him. However, it was too late. A few days later, Ernest died on December 26, making this no longer an accidental shooting, but a fucking murder. Upon Ernest's death, Dorothea was arrested and placed in jail with no bond, charged with the intent to murder. Maddie pled guilty to shooting her father and was sentenced to six years at the Arizona State School for Girls. Dorothea testified that she could have not controlled the board, saying that she didn't even believe in its powers, and she believed that it was her daughter it was either accidental or her daughter acting out of anger however she was convicted and sentenced to 25 years in prison but she only served two years before the conviction was overturned because she was granted a second trial where she was found innocent because the first court um the first trial had refused to allow evidence that maddie was lying into the entire court because they were like that's her entire defense that was Dorothea's entire defense was that Maddie was lying that her daughter was lying and did this out of an act of anger (laughs) 
So she's throwing her fucking daughter underneath the bus right now. Underneath the horse and carriage That's or wherever like the fuck huge, they had then. Like- so, yeah. Maddie refuses to communicate, re- re- refused to communicate with her mother or attend any of the visits with her because she knew that the truth was Dorothea was in love with the cattle rancher neighbor Kent and had been obsessed with him for a long time talking with Maddie about him for the longest and he had been the one the same one that stayed to carry the lantern that right. night like wow I need you to carry this fucking lantern yeah, like for you me were fucking right you all oh, were fucking so Dorothea actually ended up trying to sue the school for turning her daughter against her. However, the outcome has never been released or maybe it never went through. Again, this is from like 1933. Right. Probably never went through. Yeah. And Maddie never spoke to her mother again. Good. Yep. So on to the next one. In 1987, Orlando, Florida. So in July of 1987, sources differ on this date, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's some say 1983, but the majority of the ones that I found said 1987. In the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, in the 1980s. Uh, 25-year-old Anthony Hall, 16-year-old Bunny Dixon, 17-year-old Elizabeth Town, and 23-year-old Dan Bowen, another Bowen, which I find Weird. so interesting, right? Decided that they wanted to move from Orlando, Florida to Virginia, where they were going to join a carnival. Carnies. So this was actually at the instruction of Bunny's Ouija board. Weird. Already off to a bad start, right? Bad start. Carnivals are odd. (laughs) So Anthony and Dan had been cellmates while in state prison that they had just been let out of, let, let out on parole of. And Elizabeth and Bunny had been friends in a juvenile detention center and knew of Anthony because he was either Elizabeth's older brother or Bunny's boyfriend. Or Dan was dating Elizabeth, and that's how they all met. But all the sources differ. But I'm pretty positive that Elizabeth and Anthony were brother and sister. And maybe that's what's the connection. Okay. And then maybe Bunny and Anthony, like, started fucking. Okay. Maybe like that. Okay. All right, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> so, um, either way, you know, they have all these big plans that they're going to move. But they have no car, and they have no fucking money. So, how are they going to make that happen? Well, the four decided that they were going to stop a car on the road, appearing to be hitchhikers, and once someone stopped to pick them up, they were going to rob them and steal their car because they were carrying knives and stolen guns with them as well. Um, that They can make this happen, you know? And right. they did that, but went a little off script. So the girls were on a street in Orlando, and they were the men were kind of far behind them, so they couldn't be seen. So it was more of like, oh, you can pick up two women. So the plan was the women would get someone to pull over, which would be easier if it was just two women instead of men. And once the car pulled over, they were the men were going to come up from behind, demand money at gunpoint, and then pull the person out of their car and flee with a vehicle. So cool. finally, a car stops on July 20th. And driving was 25-year-old. Uh, I am really not going to do a good job at pronouncing this, um, but it's a Vietnamese name. Um, it's... Nagok Van Dang. So he pulled over and offered the women a ride. And as soon as they opened the door, the men came up from behind and robbed him at gunpoint. But then they tied him up and placed him in the trunk of his own car. The four quickly loaded into the car and drove off to a wooded area off of Interstate 95, where they then tied Dang up, making sure that he was secure and pulled him out of the car into this wooded area. Once he was securely tied, Bunny, a Satanist, took a butterfly knife, ripped Dang's shirt down the center, and carved a large upside-down cross on his chest before instructing the men to shoot Dang 
taking turns in the head, neck, and torso. What? Seven times. Bunny said that Dang was a satanic sacrifice, thanking the board for providing them by giving it a soul in return. I'm appalled. Yeah. Dan and Elizabeth, obviously, were like, we did not sign up for murder. One, Dan's on fucking parole, and Elizabeth just got out of a juvenile detention center. So they're like, we didn't sign up for this. And this caused like a big argument because they were like, we just wanted the car, the money and to fucking leave Florida right, and join like a carnival. part of the plan. We didn't want to kill anybody. So they make it up to Weldon, uh, North Carolina by the next day, July 21st with the car. And the arguments at this point became too much to handle. They they were panicking. Everybody was like Dan and Anthony. I mean, not Dan. Anthony and Bunny were like on some sort of like fucking high from this murder. And Dan and Elizabeth were shitting themselves like we're going to get we're going to get put back in prison. Yeah. You know, so they get out of a car at like a, a truck stop or something. And Bunny and Anthony jump in the fucking car and leave them behind. Just drive off. So out of anger, Dan and Elizabeth went to police and they told them everything that had happened, that they had been held at, but saying we had been held at gunpoint and forced to murder this man and we had been cursed by a Satanist to do so. <laughs> so police in North Carolina immediately are calling Orlando officials and they're like, listen, they're saying that there's this body at this place. You guys need to go see if it's there. And sure enough, in Volusia County, they found Dang's body. Volusia County. Volusia? Volusia? Yeah. Why? That's where my grandma lives. In like Daytona, Daytona area? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where it was. <laughs> yep. And um, they found his body in the woods there. Hey, grandma. Hey, grandma. How's your skylight frame? <laughs> <laughs> All four were arrested and then separately tried. Anthony Hall was convicted of first degree murder and the others were convicted as well. But I could not find fucking anywhere what they were convicted of. It, it was only about Anthony Hall. That's weird. Yeah, it was weird. So the next one we have, and I believe this one's my last one, is from 1995 in Walworth, Southeast London. 19-year-old Michael David McCallum lived in a flat in Walworth, Walworth, London. Sorry for all of my people in the UK right now. They're like, it is literally not that. Yeah. So fucking sorry. Immediately no. Taylor. Immediately no. So he was known to dabble in sat- uh, Satanism and was pretty much an outcast his entire life. And McCollum had turned his entire flat into a shrine to Satan with a black magic altar in his bedroom surrounded by candles, posters of Satan, torture and human sacrifice, lyrics of heavy metal songs written on the floors, walls and furniture. That's like some criminal mind shit. Yeah. Profiling right yeah. There. And devil man killer 666 written in a uh, I can never say this. Pinnacle? That's the star? That's Pentagram? like a... No, is it Pentagram? Pinnacle? I don't know. Whatever. You guys know what we're talking about. Um, we literally have a paranormal podcast. What, what is it called? Pinnacle Whip Vodka? <laughs> yeah. Is that what is that? What is that? Um, <laughs> on the TV with books and magazines on Charles Manson stacked in every corner as Manson was his idol. Oh, shit. Red yeah. flag. So on December 2nd, 1995, 15-year-old Stephen or Stephen uh, Coran and Michael Eridge um, were walking on the street when they ran into McCollum and his friend, who isn't named in any documents, and it says for legal reasons. Oh, maybe a big deal? Maybe a big deal. And listen, listen as I'm going through this because it's whack. No, this is not my last one. This is my second to last one. Okay. This is fucking whack, right? 
So um, they like apparently the friend that was with him knew of these kids, these 15 year old boys, and they were kind of acquainted. They weren't friends, but they got to talking. All right. And so after a little bit, McCollum invited Stephen and Michael up to his flat to watch movies. And they were like, hell yeah, we get to hang out with the older guys. Fucking hell yeah. So the four men made their way up to the flat. And once in the apartment, the 15 year olds were in shock, looking around and fucking terrified at the decorations, writings and shrines that were surrounded by candles. And McCollum was like, listen, how about I show you how a Ouija board works? And Michael was like. I don't want to put my finger on this like I know better. But he was then threatened that he would get his fingers chopped off if he didn't. So he put his fucking fingers on the planchette. Oh, my God. So in a circle, the four young men sat while the um, while McCollum chanted, asking for Satan to come forward. And then he asked, if you are Satan, what is it that you want me to do? Slowly, the planchette moved. K-I-L-L. Kill you didn't get that kill (laughs) kill um the teens were fucking freaked obviously and they're like standing up and they're like hey we want to leave we're leaving and mccollum says you're not going anywhere until i have my master's will done i don't like this guy i don't like him. bad vibes this guy's giving me bad vibes like he's gonna kill someone right (laughs) so then mccollum gets up and locks all of the deadbolts that he had installed on his door with a key from the inside Oh, shit. Michael was frantic, and McCollum then hits him over the head, knocking him to the ground. McCollum then pulls a knife on the teens teens, and forces them into the bedroom and forces Michael onto the altar. Once on the altar, Stephen was threatened to sit down or he would be next as McCollum strangled Michael with his bare hands until he fell unconscious. And once he did, he began stabbing him over and over and over again and he didn't stop until his unnamed friend who we later learned was actually his satanic apprentice whispered you can stop now you can calm he is dead Stephen was forced to then hold the knife that had just killed his best friend and then to place his fingerprints deliberately on it smearing his own fingers with blood of his best friend I just fucking wouldn't. I'd be like, go ahead and kill me. I'm not. Yeah, I'd be like, I can't. Um, And then he was freed. But he was threatened with his soul if he were to ever tell. Of course, Stephen's like, fuck that. Yeah. So he ran as fast as he could to Michael's house, his best friend who he just witnessed getting murdered, and told Michael's father everything that just happened. Frantically, they called the police. McCollum was arrested that night. And when he opened the door for police, he grinned and said, I'm guilty. No. Telling telling police that he was still buzzing from the high of his sacrifice. He told police that he drank two bottles of Thunderbird wine before attacking Michael. And it was because of the voices in his head or from the board that told him time and time again to kill over and over again. And it was clear when the board spelled out the instructions. Michael had to die. McCollum smiled during every single court appearance, gaining a high reliving what he had done to the 15-year-old. McCollum was then sentenced to life in prison. Holy shit. And we know nothing about the friend? We know nothing about the friend. I dug. I dug so hard. I could probably dig a little bit more. I wonder. I could probably dig a little bit more if I really 
had all the newspaper articles yeah. but hey people in london people in london let us know let us know all right last one last one um so this one's from 2001 in Mink- minko oklahoma which apparently is like not too far away from oklahoma city so on the night of February 11, 2001, police were called to the scene of a crash on I-44 northbound towards Tulsa. It was a single car accident at a high speed, and the car had been deliberately crashed into a road sign. Driving the car was 15, no, 53-year-old Carol Sue Elvaker. Her daughter was in the car as well, 34-year-old Tammy Roach, and Tammy's two daughters, who were 15 and 10 at the time. The four women were trying to get out of the car with severe injuries. When Carol Sue attempted to push her 15-year-old granddaughter into oncoming traffic when police showed up, making the struggle between the two end. So Carol had actually two broken ankles, but despite this, she took off running on foot, stripping her clothes off, jumping the medium bar- median bar- barrier, good God, I don't know why I couldn't say that, and running into the woods. Police were obviously able to trace her down because she had two fucking broken ankles and she she was like hiding in like this like rocky area like squatted down like butt ass naked and they're like okay come Come on on. come on babe so they then take her to be treated at the university of oklahoma health sciences health sciences center and um it was the reason why she had to stop she later explained was because finally the pain had set in i mean yeah you're running on two broken ankles right so Tammy and her daughters were picked up by first responders still at the scene and they were fucking frantic screaming that Carol had killed Tammy's husband 34 year old Brian at their home Tammy and her daughters were taken to the hospital for treatment while officers went back to the home where they found 34 year old Brian Roach dead in his bed with one stab wound to the heart and in the floor of the living room they found a Ouija board Tammy Roach was questioned by authorities where she told them the entire story. That night, Carol herself and her daughters were playing with Carol's Ouija board in a like having a seance when the board told Carol that Brian had been possessed by an evil spirit and needed to die. And just a forewarning, if you look this up, it literally shows you the demon and says the name. So don't because I literally was having a panic attack the entire day. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So don't look it up. Um was possessed by this demon and needed to die so she then took a knife from the kitchen block and went to brian's back room where he was sleeping stabbing him once directly in the heart brian begged his wife to help him but the women just stood there as he bled to death before tammy hid the knife in the home at the direction of her mother and was forced into her own car because carol said that tammy's daughters were possessed too Tammy and Carol fought as Carol drove as fast as she fucking could, looking for the perfect place to crash the car and kill all four of them. This was huge, big news, not only because of how crazy, but because Brian Roach had actually been elected as mayor of Minko in 1986 until 1991, and he had been elected at the age of 19. So he was like well-known and well-loved in this area. This is like a higher-up family, you know? And to add to this, there had been no sign of mental illness or odd behavior that Carol presented until that night. So they think she was really fucking possessed by this board. 
my god carol was arrested and convicted of first degree murder and tammy was arrested and convicted of being accessory to crime for hiding the weapon but i think she only served a year um so that's it for my cases but there are many other cases like this love that (laughs) i'm glad you enjoyed it and all of the other ones are just as fucking crazy and wild and they are so worth the read but Things like this are why we urge you all to be weary of Ouija boards, spirits, and portals, and why we have never and will never play with a board. No. So that is Ouija boards for you guys. Terrifying. Terrifying. We want your Ouija board stories. I know you guys. I know you guys have some. You guys have them. And okay. I, I know we, we don't, I know we don't say this. I know we don't, you know, market this. But when I was covering these cases and listening to yours and like how they're technically debunked and all the things, I'm over here like, could we use one then? Like, part of me is like, I want to just because I want to know. But right. then the other half of me is like, you're way too fucking smart for that. Don't yeah, you know better? No, I have no urge to use them. Actually, I have an urge. It's, you have an urge after you saw a demon's name on the computer today. Yeah, I do. You're did. like, let's. Play. I want to see if it works. Like I, that's what I would I do know out of curiosity. What'd you say? I know people from high school that have played. Oh no! And it was no like this girl's dog had a seizure oh, while my they played. Fuck. I remember have I told the story. you that story? I think one wine night. Yeah, you told me. It was crazy. Dude, I, I want... And the one friend that was there, it spelled... The board spelled out one of the demon's names. No. I, yes, I, I would did. literally... I'm going to... Susan's and coming over tomorrow, so I'm going to ask her what she thinks about Ouija boards. I've never asked her. Yeah. Because I wonder what mediums think. Yeah. They're, she's probably going to tell me no, because she she's already on my ass about having us talking about dark shit here in this room. She's like, you don't need to have that in your house. And we're like, this is perfect. This perfect, is perfect, perfect, perfect. perfect. <laughs> and she's like, you literally cannot have the, she's like, you're going to create a portal in your front room. Oh my God. From y'all talking about this shit. And I was like, Susan, that's why you come over, babe. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you come Susan, into that, babe. That's why you're here. Yeah. But yeah, she's already been on my ass about that. So I know she's not going to be for Ouija boards. No, no, I'm not for it either. I'm already denying you. I mean, obviously I'm not. You know, I'm the biggest fucking scaredy cat that ever walked yeah. the earth. We would have to find one first. Actually, you can buy them wherever but now. But yeah, we can go get one. Maybe we should just, I don't even want to have no, one. I don't even want to have one in my no. home. But like, again, to like what, what we were talking about at the end of yours, like, I don't think that buying a brand new Ouija board is like a demonic situation. I don't yeah. think that. Like, I don't think that. I think. But like sitting there and like with the intent. The, exactly. The especially intent. with how in tune you are. I know. It we would be, would be screwed. I'd be like, I would only like to talk to kind people. Thank you. <laughs> God. Kind people only. And then guys, whenever Morgan was researching her um, Reddit stories, I was like, oh, well, what thread are you on? I want to read a bunch. And I, I fucking immediately regret it. There's so many. And they say the demons' names. I was reading them. I was like, oh, my God. I'm, like, covering my eyes. I'm like, well, is that really going to help? I'm, I'm <laughs> I didn't reading. see it. I didn't see it. I, I didn't see it. I swear to God, I didn't see it. I swear. <laughs> but, yeah. I love this episode. That was fun. I did, too. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We're, this is our first late night recording in a while. It Morgan's was a spooky dead. one. Why do we spooky. do that? It's a dark. Why do I do that to you like that? I really would have loved to have some wine in this. I, it feels very OG creeps and crimes right now. Yeah. But, guys, we're trying to get our um, wedding bodies ready. <laughs> so we we got to pull away from the weekly drinking. <laughs> Because we're about to be in a lot of bridesmaids' dresses. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of drinking to do next week, too. Oh, my God. You're going to have so much fun. I'm just going to drink for you from here. 
Why no, you you're not allowed to drink. Well, you know, I, I won't do it because I'll be like, I'm going to be so depressed. I get so depressed now if I drink. Yeah. Sucks. Oh, I hate getting All older. right, guys. It's my bedtime. My eyes are burning. Mine too. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.